The story of Jonah continues. Listen to this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them and did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and Jonah became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. And now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So this is a preacher story. I was on an airplane and I was reading the Bible. I was reading Jonah and I was into it and I, I wasn't really aware that I was laughing out loud as I read. There was a woman seated next to me who could tell I was reading scripture and noticed that I was laughing and she seemed a bit concerned that I would be laughing at God's holy word. She probably assumed I was irreverent. I assumed she was Baptist. But come on, this is a funny story. Jonah is called, he runs the other way to get his attention. God sends a storm enough to terrify the other sailors with whom Jonah is traveling. They toss him overboard, a fish eats him for dinner. And then a fish evidently uh, finding disobedient prophets to be somewhat like food poisoning, vomits Jonah up on the beach and Jonah's happy about that. You can't can't read this with a straight face. It was then that the word of God came to Jonah a second time, and this time with the fish still fresh in his memory, Jonah decides to do what God calls him to do. He is obedient, but just barely. Jonah preaches, 40 days more and none of us shall be overthrown. That's it. Jeremiah needs 52 chapters. Ezekiel about the same. Isaiah rambles on for 66 chapters, but Jonah just has eight words. And the truth is, most folks ignored all those other guys. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, all the rest. Most folks just ignored the prophets, but not Jonah. He speaks eight words. And the whole city of Nineveh comes singing, just as I am. 
Not only the people, but the king and the nobles, they fast and repent. And then it gets ridiculous as even the, the animals join in this act of repentance, fasting and wearing sackcloth. Be grateful it was not your job to fit oxen with sackcloth. As prophets go, Jonah should be in the hall of fame. But as we said last Sunday, Jonah would give an arm and a leg if God had called someone else to do this work. I can't help but wonder if God calls Jonah, not simply because Nineveh needs to hear what Jonah says, but because Jonah needs to be the one to say it. These enemies of Israel not only need to hear this word from the Lord, but it's Jonah who needs to preach the word of the Lord to his enemies. The citizens of Nineveh may need to learn who God is, but it's Jonah who needs to remember who God is. And Jonah feared this. He feared that what if the folks of Nineveh repent? then God will forgive. And when that happens, and that's what happens, Jonah throws a temper tantrum. Like a two-year-old who's astonished to discover he's not always going to get his way, Jonah throws a fit. Not, not to be fair, a temper tantrum of a two-year-old can sometimes be cute, as long as it's someone else's two-year-old. But Jonah is a full-grown man. It's not cute. He berates God. I knew you would do this. This is the very reason I went to Tarshish, because you were nothing but merciful and gracious. I can't stand it when your grace is poured out on the wrong people. Just kill me now. You would think that grace would be a good thing. But for Jonah, grace is a problem. Why is that? If I understand the text, it's because Jonah knows that the love of God is expansive, all-inclusive. There are no unimportant people to God. Jonah knows this in his head, but his worldview has been shaped by a different set of values. There's a teaching in the world that some folks matter more than others. Yes, everybody's God's child, but some folks matter more than others. Lord Grantham of Downton Abbey matters more than Bates. It's just the way of the world. This nation was built on that assumption, some folks matter more than others. Jonah's Israel was built on the same assumption. Some folks matter more than others. And Jonah is mad because the love of God challenges that assumption. The assumption he held that he is part of the chosen people means he matters more than his enemy. Jonah believes that grace is a good thing, but it needs limits. I get that. When I was in Kansas City, one evening we invited Sonia Wachorski to speak 
at our church. A, a documentary film about her had just been released entitled Big Sonia. It is her story that was big. Sonia herself was not. She was tiny. If, if she carried her, she was so short that if she carried her groceries in those totes, you know, the totes dragged on the ground. How she saw over the steering wheel of her car is a miracle, I think. We had to build a box for her to stand on to speak from our lectern. But her courage was huge. She spoke of how almost all of her family were murdered in the Holocaust. She watched her own mother march to the gas chamber. Sonia turned right, her mother turned left. After enduring three different camps, she survived. She still had the serial numbers tattooed on her arm. She spoke for about an hour and she said that that most of her life, she had buried that part, that, that part of her story. She didn't speak to anyone about what she went through, about her heartbreak, or the horrors, or her grief. But she changed her mind. She said she began to hear voices in contemporary America that sounded frighteningly similar to voices she heard as a child and she decided she needed to tell her story. She spoke to us of how loving one another is the only way forward, that hatred must be set aside. After she spoke, she took some questions and someone in the congregation asked her, Sonia, after all you have lost, how can you forgive them? Sonia said, Oh, you misunderstand. I have not forgiven them. I cannot forgive them. And then she said, God will have to do that. I cast no judgment on her feeling. She is stronger than I. Where I, I, I don't have any reason to believe I would be half as gracious and loving as Sonia had I experienced even a portion of what she has suffered. But I think she knew something that Jonah feared was true. There is no limit to God's grace. There are no unimportant people with God. Jonah knew that and he hated it. It's interesting how when we are recipients of grace, it is amazing. It's also almost reasonable. Uh, when we are recipients of God's love, it is understandable. But to extend grace to everyone? You see, until this moment, Jonah could tell himself that he was different than they were. He could tell himself that he was better than them. He had objective experience. He could tell himself that his nation's wars were unfortunate but necessary. His enemy's wars, on the other hand, they were terrorism. Jonah's failings were regretful but his intentions were good. His enemies, on the other hand, they were heartless and cruel. 
Until this moment, he could convince himself that he was more important to God than they were. But now God has treated them just like he's treated Jonah. They are the same and he cannot stand it. Jonah has lived like the relationship to God is an Olympic sport and he's meddled and his enemies were disqualified. But it's obvious that in God's eyes, that distinction is not really there. It's troubling when grace is poured out on those who are deemed unworthy. But the real troubling, the real troubling lesson is that no one is really worthy. That's why grace is grace. Jonah realizes the evil Ninevites in God's eyes are never completely evil and more shatteringly, the righteousness of Jonah is never completely righteous. He's not more important. He just shares a very common human attribute, which is a kind of arrogance. Uh, not an arrogance of boastfulness, but an arrogance that believes at the end of the day, I really am more important than you. That kind of arrogance is always a spiritual problem. And so this is the challenge of this faith that we share. It challenges that basic assumption that humans carry, and that is, at the end of the day, I matter more than other folks. This is a story that teaches us we may not be able to love our enemies, but we should remember that God can and does. But it's not just about enemies. It's not. It's more basic than that. It's about any who get discounted, overlooked, passed by. When my son graduated from college, he moved to New York City. He got an apartment in Brooklyn. I hadn't been there yet, so I was asking him to describe me. So exactly where do you live? He said, Dad, the coolest neighborhood in the city is right here in Brooklyn, and I'm in an apartment just outside of that neighborhood. I said, son, that's the story of our lives. We ours. We always can see cool from where we are, but we've never really been there. When I went to high school, I went to high school with a student body of over 2,000 students in Atlanta, and, and I was, for the most part, invisible. I was at least three neighborhoods away from cool the whole time. But my junior year, I tried out for the school musical. We did West Side Story. I got cast as that, uh, that guy who was the leader of the Jets. You know, what was his name? Riff or Biff, Poof, something I don't remember. I had lines, I had to dance, I had to sing, get cool, boy. It was great fun. And when opening night concluded there in our little gymnasium, high school gymnasium, the audience rose to their feet and the applause were thunderous. When I came out to take my bow, it was remarkable. The walls were, I'm sure I remember this objectively. The, the, wall, the walls were shaking, they were. The next day, I walked through the halls of Lakeside High School a little bit slower, I did. I had a little bit of swagger in my step. The little people, the ninth graders, they came up. Was that you? You were amazing. I said, oh, well, it was nothing. 
For about three days, I convinced myself I was great. I walked among the ordinary people of modest talent. And like Fred Craddock said once, I had to hold on to the shrubbery to keep from ascending. <laughs> the temptation to think you're better than someone else, that I am better than you, that I'm more important, it is a powerful seduction. Even now, all these years after high school, I must keep a watchful eye on that inner adolescent who hungers to matter. It's been a problem for a long time. The Greek philosopher Plato provided justification for this kind of thinking. It was the order of creation, Plato argued. People are ranked in importance. He ranked them uh, consistent with Olympic medals. He said they're, they're those people in society who are just kind of the bronze medal sold people. They're slaves and they're immigrants, they're servants. Above them are the silver-souled people. They are people such as warriors and such. They are the people who provide great service to the city. But the gold-souled people, they are the ones who think great thoughts. They are the ones who shape cultural life. They are the most important among us. How convenient for Plato the philosopher to deem that the most important people in the world were philosophers. The world has been ranking people for a long time. And Jonah may not have been an obedient prophet, but he was a really good theologian. And he knew that God does not rank us. There are no unimportant people with God. There are lots of people for whom the world has given them very little reason to believe that they matter. There are lots of people for whom the world has given very little reason for them to believe they are loved by God. They move through this world that ranks them as unimportant. They move through this world hated or just invisible. That's why it's the church's job to tell them that they matter. They need to know that they are loved by God, that there are no unimportant people with God. That word might just save their life. And maybe just as importantly, it will be important for us as the church to be reminded that the love of God includes all. God does not rank us. There are no unimportant people with God. Remembering that might just save our lives. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.